Okay, we are in Lesson 7 today, and again, we're Paul is addressing the whole issue of their arguing and their disputing among themselves, and remember, what were they fighting about? What was, their, this, what was the whole reason why they were fighting? Anybody? Yeah, they, were, they had different groups that were focused on different leaders. And so Paul has been arguing different things, trying to get down to the root of everything to kind of correct them. So he talked about their pride and their, he talked about their spiritual immaturity. Then he talked about the fact of the nature of ministers, period, that they're all servants. And he's going to talk about that again today as far as the nature of ministers in ministry. And so that's what we're going to look at here today. Uh, when we finish this section here today in chapter 4, Paul next week is going to launch into a, a completely different subject concerning something that they are also dealing with, another problem. But today we're going to finish up the argument with them concerning what they were fussing and feuding about. So let's look, first of all, at uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4. And uh, notice what the Apostle says. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But for me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from the Lord. Okay, let's have a look here first of all. Paul's going to give us a proper view of ministers. Proper view of ministers. Notice what he says. First of all, he points out that he and Apollos are simply just servants of Christ. That he and Apollos are just simply servants of Christ. Notice what he says here. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. He's no bigwig. He's not saying he's a bigwig. He doesn't want you to think he's a bigwig. He doesn't want you to put him up on a pedestal. He just wants you to view him as a servant. Now, let me just stop for a moment because we can kind of lose thought about what that word servant means. I want you, in, their, in their culture, in their time, a servant was somebody who was bound to serve a master. And he might be the stable boy cleaning out the manure from, from, from the stable. Do you understand what I'm saying? He might be the guy that, that is scrubbing the floors. That's the picture of a servant here. Because sometimes what we do in our, in, our, in our Christian church thinking is we've kind of elevated, oh, well, he's a servant of Jesus. But I want you to see the words that Paul's using is, is he's talking about he's a lowly servant of Christ. He's not trying to elevate himself in their eyes. You understand what I'm saying? He's not trying to elevate himself. Because listen to this. It is earthly wisdom, human wisdom, that will lift people up. It will base itself on pride. When you look at the Bible, the Bible always talks about lifting who up? Christ. And everyone else is to what? Humble themselves. In fact, here's, here, here, I want you to know something interesting about the word humble. Humble comes from the word humus. Does everybody know what humus is? 
Dirt. Dirt. For the gardeners, they know what humus is. It's dirt. So when you talk about humility, you talk about becoming like dirt. You understand? So this is the attitude that Paul has here. So when he's saying here, look, he's pointing out, he says, guys, we're just simply servants. We're just simply servants of the Most High. So that's a good attitude. So here's the thing. And they are stewards of the message of the Gospel. Now, a servant is one thing. A steward is another thing. Anybody have an idea what a steward is? A manager. Okay, Bruce says a manager. Some of you might be thinking they used to call stewards or stewardesses on a, on, before they changed it to flight attendants. But that, that's not the point there. A steward is somebody who has a responsibility, who manages something. And so what he's saying here is not just that we are servants, we are lowly servants of Christ. We have a responsibility. We are stewards of what? What are you stewards of? The gospel. The message of the gospel. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Here's a great point that you and I need to realize, and that's this. Paul is not just talking about himself here. Who else is a steward of the gospel? We are. If you're a Christian, if you have accepted the gospel, if you have embraced by faith Jesus Christ, made a commitment to Him, you become a steward in your life of the gospel. Now, that raises a good question. How are you doing? How are you doing with your stewardship? So what he's saying here is is they're stewards. Every one of us here is a steward of the gospel. Now, here's what happens. Here's the danger of that. The danger of in today's churches is, is that we feel it's only one person's stewardship and the rest of us are just bystanders. Who, who, who do we feel is responsible for the stewardship? Okay, yeah, somebody's saying you. Yeah, that's right, the pastor. That can't be true. Think about it. How many, how many of you talked to ten people this week, this last week? Think about it. Ten different people last week. How many of you talked to ten different people? Okay. How many talked to 20 different people? Okay, how many? All right, 30. 40. 50. How about 100? Okay, it's a couple of you there. All right, here's the point. I didn't. Fishing. (laughs) Don't you know that we don't do anything between Sundays? Okay. Now, here's my point. Chances are, I see you and Brad rose. Brad raised his hand, you raised his hand. Chances are you met a hundred different people. Each had about a hundred different people. I chances of me meeting them, unless I walk by them in Walmart. You understand? Here's, here's my point. If you're just leaving it to me, where is it? What's our chances of reaching people? None. All of us are stewards. And so he's saying they are stewards of the message of the gospel. He goes on in verse 2 and says that as stewards of the gospel, they must be faithful to the task. Notice what he says there in verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one is found faithful. Now, you know what? If you want to write in your Bible, underline that word required. The implication here is is it's not just an option. 
Notice Paul didn't say that. He didn't say, notice if I were to change it, moreover, it is an option in stewards that one may be found faithful. It's not an option. So oftentimes in our culture, our American culture, we view everything as an option. And especially when it comes to the Bible. You know what? I like this part. I'll, 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 I'll accept that part. But this part, you know, it kind of steps on my toes. And I think I know better. And I'm going to just apply what I want to out of that and forget the rest of it. You know, the, the, you can't do that. The Bible says, look, it is required of stewards that you and I be found faithful. It's not an option. And look, here, let's, let's just kind of put it all back into perspective. Remember last week, we talked about how one day every man's work is going to be judged? Whether it is gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, you know, all of that. Here's the point. You and I are going to be judged concerning whether or not we have been, what? Good stewards. And it is required of you to be faithful in the task that God has given you. To be faithful in the task that God has given you. So then notice the true measure now. He's going to talk about what is a, what is a true minister of Christ. Okay? Now let me stop. When I talk about minister here, I don't want you to think about ordained clergy. I don't want you to think about somebody who is in a pastoral position. I don't want you thinking about a missionary. That is not what he's talking about here. Again, he's talking about servants. Because that word minister also means servant. All right, let's go on. Look at what he says here. Look at verse 3 and 4. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. First of all, notice what it says there. God's servants cannot be judged by human standards or wisdom. Now, this is a great point. How do we judge people? By our standards. That's exactly right. By our standards. Paul is saying, God's servants cannot be judged by human standards or wisdom. By human standards or wisdom. Here's the point. Be careful how you judge each other. Be careful how you, not just pastors, but all of us are servants, are we not? Be careful how you judge each other. Because what we tend to do is judge each other based upon what? Their own standards, their own preferences, their own wishes, their own what they wanted. See, it's so, we have to be so careful. See, Paul says, nobody can judge me. No human court can judge me in my stewardship. Nobody can judge me because that's what they were doing in Corinth. I want you to understand what's going on here. That's what's going on in Corinth. When they're fighting and feuding and they're saying, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas, you've got different crowds that are saying, that's Paul, he's nothing. He can't even speak right. And so they're judging them based on standards. And so here's what he's saying to them. Guys, God's servants can't be judged by human standards. God's servants can't be judged by human standards. What's he saying then? 
God's servants will ultimately be judged by God. God's servants will... Paul says, look, you know what? You guys can sit there and make all kinds of statements about me, but here's the point I want you to see. My judgment isn't from you. My judgment is from Jesus, period. And He will judge my work. He already talked about that, didn't He? Because remember something. Remember what I said? Can anybody here... I said this last week. Can anybody read motives here? Nobody. You may think you can with your spouse, but you can't. I mean, you can maybe glean some things, but you still can't. They'll surprise you. You can't know each other's motives. Here's my point. So if you can't know each other's motives, we already talked about this last week. God is the one who judges because something that we may think is done with a good motive, God says it was done with the wrong motive. God is the ultimate judge. And you and I have got to grasp that point. So then notice now, look at verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one will, each one's praise will come from God. So look, look, let's read what he said again. I can't miss it. Therefore judge nothing before the time comes. What's the time? He already he explains it there. Until the Lord comes, here's what he says, who will bring to light the hidden things, remember what I told you, motives, the hidden things of darkness, and reveal what? The counsels, what was really going on inside of them when they did it, the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. Here's the point I want you to see. God is the only one who can judge and reward the nature of one's ministry. God is the only one who can judge and reward the nature of one's ministry. So let me ask you a question. How's your stewardship? How's your ministry? Every one of you has a ministry. If you have children, you have a ministry to your children. If you have neighbors, you have a ministry to your neighbors. If you have a workplace where you work at, you have a ministry there. Now, I'm not talking about you being a Bible banger and smashing people over the head with your Bibles. That's not what I'm talking about. A lot of times the gospel witness is not shared by words, it's shared by a life. The question is, how are you doing? And that's a good question. In fact, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Let's say this is the end times, because I've heard people talking about that. Let's say this is the end times. Let's say the time is at hand. And we hope maybe it is. My question is to you, based upon what we just read, how's your stewardship? You said, what do you mean? As I was thinking about that, I became very uncomfortable. I'm going to talk about myself here. I'm not going to worry about you. Although I do worry about you. I became very uncomfortable with the whole thought, well, what if the time is at hand? What if the time is at hand and one day, soon, I'm going to stand before Jesus and I give an account of my stewardship? Have I been a good steward? Or have I been focused on myself? On my comfort level? Do you see what I'm saying? 
Have I been, okay, let's talk about giving for a minute. Giving out of my excess rather than giving sacrificially for the cause of Christ. Because it's the sacrificial giving that God blesses. Not necessarily giving out of my excess. And knowing, knowing that there are ministries going around the world that are, that are trying to reach as many people as possible for Christ if this is the last days. The question is, how, how am I doing, George? And you guys can't know that. Who knows it? But here's the thing, the wickedness of my heart, I can even deceive myself. But I need to think in terms of, if this is the last days, and here's another point, if it is the last days, we've gone through revelation in this church, you and I both know that when it starts, the lost will be what? Hardened. And then they will be lost. And all of you have what? Loved ones? Friends? People you care for? Who don't know Jesus? I have that. Then it comes back to me again. How's my stewardship? How's my stewardship? You see my point. See, Paul's saying, look, God is the only one who can judge and He will reward the nature of our ministry. And you know what the sad thing is? is I, I have a feeling, and I'm going to talk about myself here, that He's going to say, George, man, you had many opportunities. But you missed them. Because you were focused on you rather than focused on me. See, Paul, notice what Paul said. This is interesting. When you look at Paul, this is the kind of confidence this man had. I want you to listen to the confidence of Paul. Let's go back to verse 3, 4, and 5 again. I want you to listen to his confidence. Notice what he said. But for me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, look at what he says. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Notice why. For I know of nothing. Paul's saying this. This sounds like arrogance. But no, this is a man who has confidence in his ministry. I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. He's saying, even though I don't know of anything, I'm doing all that God is telling me to do. I'm not even going to justify myself by that. Why? It is God who judges me ultimately. That's the attitude of Paul. Man, can't Lord give us that kind of attitude. That we don't have regrets. That we don't have regrets. See, that's, that's, that's the nature of ministry. That's the nature of ministry. So then he goes on to verse 6 through 13. And then he talks about true apostleship. Because this was an issue with them. We've seen this before when we went through the second letter. They were questioning his apostleship. Notice what he says here. Now these things, brethren, I have figured it would be transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. To myself, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? For if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last 
as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, both hunger and thirst, and a and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things until now. Let's notice something. Here's going to talk about apostleship. Just as human wisdom cannot judge ministry, it should not be used to judge each other. Here's this whole point. Listen. Just like I can't judge a person's ministry or you can't judge my ministry or anything, the application is universal in that we can't judge each other. In fact, here, let me, let me point out something to you. You say, well, what if we see somebody doing wrong? Well, I think that's a little bit different than judgment. Let me use an example here. Let me pick on somebody today. Jack. I haven't picked on Jack in a while. Okay. Hey, all right. Let's say Jack did something wrong. Let me give you, first of all, what is the view of the church today and what the biblical view is today. A lot of people, when they look at the whole issue of judging, will say, well, it's right for me to go and judge Jack. Jack, I can't believe you. And we start wagging the finger about the sin in his life. And we, we deal with him in a condemning way. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. In fact, that's the kind of judging that Jesus said not to do. Remember what he said? Why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when there's a beam hanging out of your own. But you said we're to, we're, to, we're, to, we're, to, we're to deal with sin in the church. Yes, but there's a different way to deal with it. The biblical way to deal with it is that I don't go to Jack because of the sin in his life to condemn him. I go to him out of love because I want to help him. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. I go to someone because of the sin in their life not to condemn them. But I go to them to help them. That's the biblical model. Because you'll see things like this in the New Testament. When you have restored him, rejoice because you have saved a brother from destruction. That's the attitude. Because the attitude is, is when I go to him with the view that's most prevalent in our churches today of condemnation, I'm looking, what, down on him like I'm in a place of what? Moral superiority. But do I have anything to be morally superior about? Oh, think about this for a moment. <clears throat> We've got a big screen here. Last night we had the VeggieTale movie up there. It's got lots of color and everything. Let's, let's just say that I had a machine here. We put something on your head. If, if you would let me put it on your head, you probably wouldn't once you found out what it's for. And it would reveal up there to everybody else the dark things of your life. Thoughts, attitudes, and actions. How would you feel about that? Some of your eyes got big. 
How many of you would be embarrassed? To be honest. All of us would, wouldn't we? Now, let me just stop for a moment. Then why do we place ourselves in positions of moral authority to condemn others around us? Maybe you don't engage in what they're doing, but maybe they don't engage in what you're doing. See, Paul's trying to say here, listen to me. Just as human wisdom can't judge someone's ministry, it can't be used to judge someone else either. And the biblical model is to come along and help rather than to tear down. And we're good at tearing down, aren't we? We're good at tearing down. So, let's go on. Each one has no basis for boasting since God is the source of what we have. Look with me at uh, verse 7. Look at what he says there. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Here's the whole point. What makes, what makes Bruce different from Tom? God is the one who made him different. What makes some fat cat who has everything, and he doesn't have to worry about balancing his checkbook because he's got more money than he knows what to do with, and it's somebody who's waiting from paycheck to paycheck to make ends meet, and he still can't make ends meet, what's the difference between those two guys? What we look at it with human wisdom, we say, well, the fat cat's got money and the other guy's poor and he doesn't have anything, and we judge based upon that, don't we? Paul's saying, look, what you have is what God gave you. Well, that's a good thing for us to grasp, isn't it? Let me just stop for a moment. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Where you're at in life is what God gave you. And the reason why He maybe doesn't give you more is because He knows you can't handle it. Well, some of you are saying, well, I sure like to try. But that's not how He judges us. He judges us based upon our faithfulness to what He has given us. And so here they are. They're boasting in themselves. Let me explain something to you about the Corinthians. The Corinthian church was a wealthy church. The folks in the Corinthian church, a lot of them were people of means in that culture. Corinth was a very wealthy town. It was a very wicked town. But its wickedness was there because of its wealth as well. And so they have a lot, and we'll see that later on when we get into the message, they had a lot more than some of the other churches like the church in Macedonia and so forth. And so here they are, they're boasting in what they have about, boy, look at us, we are doing really good here. And Paul is saying to them, look, each one of us has no reason for boasting. You have nothing to brag about. You have nothing to brag about. Because the fact of the matter is, for every one of us here, and you may not believe what I'm going to say, but you need to, given the right circumstances, the right situation, every one of us will do wickedness. Does everybody understand me? How can I say that? Because it's only grace that you have it. It isn't because of you. It's because of God. You see my point. And, and so he's saying here, there's no reason for any of us to boast. If we're going to boast in anything, boast in God because He's the source of what we have. Let's go on now. 
Here, he's going to go on and talk about spiritual blindness. Verse 8, he says this. Paul points out that they think that they are spiritually mature. Look at what they say. You are already full. full. You are already rich. Remember what he said to them that he couldn't speak to them as, as, as mature people because he still had to feed them with milk and not with meat? Let me ask you something. Which makes you feel more full? A good meal with meat and potatoes and, and you know, a nice T-bone steak with the, your favorite, uh, your favorite barbecue sauce that you got there or steak sauce or whatever or just a, a, a hot cup of milk. How many of you, how many of you are filled after a hot cup of milk? How many of you are filled and satisfied after a nice big baked potato, sour cream, chives, butter, Maybe an ear of corn, just enough milk and just enough butter and, and salt on it, you know. And some of y'all are going to go to Sap Brothers after we eat here, okay? And you got, okay, all right. So here, here's my point. How many of you would be satisfied after a meal like that? Be honest. We all would, wouldn't we? This is what he's saying. He just told them earlier they're only still able to take milk, and here he is. He's saying to them, guys, you are so spiritually immature. You think you're full. You think you're full. And then here's what he said. You think you're rich. You know, he said that to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, the last letter to the seven churches, the church of Laodicea. He says to them, you view themselves as rich, but you're naked. And you're blind. See, he's saying to them, he points out that they think that they're spiritually mature, but they're not. They're not. So then he goes on and talks about their true condition as apostle. Paul compares his current situation to their boasting. Notice what he says. Look with me. Verse 9 to 13. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are, notice what he says. We are fools. You are wise. We are weak. You are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. See, he's comparing, comparing his present situation to their situation. And what he's doing is, is he's saying, guys, we're apostles. We've been given the task by Jesus himself. And you think you're doing okay? He's trying to show them the futility of where they're at. He's trying to show them the futility of where they're at. So here he points out that they, as apostles, have endured the rejection of the world. That they have endured the rejection of the world. Let me just stop for a moment. Lifeway Research, which is the research arm of the Southern Baptist, recently, within the last year, conducted a survey. And here's what they found. That 40% of unchurched Americans, which is a large number of people, said this, that Christians irritate them. They didn't say Jews irritate them. They didn't say Muslims irritate them. They said Christians irritate them. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, I'd say there's some Christians who irritate me too. But 40% of them said that. That number is growing significantly. Because why? Our culture is changing. And here's something that you're going to have to grasp. We are not exempt from... Suffering for Jesus' sake. 
There is no special exemption in the Bible that says that Canada and the United States are the only places in the world where Christians will not suffer. Because everywhere else in the world they are suffering. Maybe, I don't know how many of you saw your news that in Orissa, that, that eastern state in India, brothers and sisters in Christ are being attacked and killed viciously to eradicate them, to wipe them out, to wipe them off the face of the planet. And it's happened, it's starting again. 30,000 Christians displaced from their home being forced to leave their homes. Now, what makes us think we're exempt from that? See, the Apostle says, points out that they, as Apostles, have endured the rejection of the world. My friends, we're going to endure the rejection of the world. Not everybody's going to be happy with us. And we need to grasp that point. People are not going to be happy with your view of Christianity here. Friends, we need to realize that. The Apostle endured. And listen, we need to be thankful he endured because if it wasn't for him enduring and the other apostles enduring, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. So he goes on. Paul is not writing to them to bring shame, but to warn them. Look with me now at verse 14. He says this, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Listen, my even sharing with you today is not to shame you. My, my, my sharing with you, I've shared some things that maybe are some hard for some of you, is not to shame you, but to warn you if the time is at hand. And I believe it is. Maybe another 10 years, maybe another 20, but the time is at hand. I don't know when the time will be. Well, my friends, you were saved for a purpose. You were saved for a purpose, and, and we need to be real about that. We need to be real about that. Look with me now at verse 15. He says, here Paul wants to reiterate his relationship. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Here's what he's saying. While they have many teachers, he is their only spiritual father. He's their only spiritual father. So he's trying to say to them, guys, I'm just warning you. And here's my relationship to you. You may have a lot of teachers there. You may have, oh, good guys, you got guys, they got degrees coming out of their ears. They're wonderful. But you only got one spiritual daddy. Look now. He talks now about the purpose of Timothy's visit. Look at verse 17. Excuse me, verse 16. His encouragement, first of all. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Paul tells them to follow his example of humility. My friends, you know who we should be following? Don't follow me. Don't follow some guy on TV. Don't follow the guy that you like to read. You need to follow Paul. Paul's following who? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, if every one of us left here today, and if the only thing we got out of this whole lesson was, is, man, I need to make an effort to become more like Jesus, then you've reached it. I mean, you haven't reached perfection. Don't get me wrong but you've reached an understanding that your life needs to emulate Jesus. And it'll be a life of humility. It'll be a life of humility. Not pride, but humility. He goes on then, look at verse 17. He talks to him about Timothy, 
For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Here's what he's saying. Timothy was sent to them to remind them of the teaching of Paul. Listen, this is the reason why pastors are here. This is the reason why teachers are here. They are are here to remind you of the teaching. They're to remind you of the Gospel. In fact, Peter says this when you go over to 2 Peter, it's in chapter 1, he said he did not find it he did not find it a problem to continue to remind them of the same things over and over and over again. Why? Because we're thick. We need to be reminded over and over again. How many of you need to be reminded over and over again that God is good? I do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he, he sent Timothy to remind them. Alright? Now let's look now, verse 18. He's going to talk about the actions of some of them that were very prideful. Look at verse 18. He says this. Now some are puffed up as though I am not coming to you. Some are very prideful. Here's what he's saying. Some arrogantly felt that Paul would never visit them again. Oh, that Paul, he ain't got time for you guys. He's off doing his own thing, seeking his own glory, and they're just arrogant and they're puffed up. And he's saying, look, I know there's some people acting like that among you. They're in that moral superiority. And I can almost guess who he's talking about. He's talking about Judaizers. Remember, these were the folks that wanted them to, what, adhere to the old, be circumcised, adhere to the Old Testament law and everything. And they didn't like Paul and his message. And this is probably the group that says they were of Cephas. And he says, some of them are arrogantly saying, I'm not going to come. So then notice now, he says, verse 19 to 21, he's going to tell them his plans. Look at what he says there. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in the world, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come with you with a rod, or in love, or in the spirit of gentleness? Here, final things I want you to see. Paul states that he had plans to visit them and deal with the arrogant. He's going to deal with them. So then, notice something. The kingdom of God is not just talk, but living in the power of God. Wow. Let me just make a point here. How many of you would say, that's my life? Don't raise your hand. Probably most of us wouldn't. The kingdom of God is not some future thing down the road. The kingdom of God is power now in your life through the Holy Spirit. Now, forget what you're watching on TV where some crazy guy gets up there and he does all this crazy stuff and you're thinking, man, that's the Holy Spirit. I don't want any of that in my life. Neither do I. But that's not it. The power of God is far greater than that. That's almost childish. Okay? That's almost childish. And so he's saying, it's not just talk, it's power for life now. So many of us act like it's just talk. So then he goes on and he says this, a couple of last points. It's not a question when Paul will come, but how he will come. He says, it's not an issue of when I'm coming. The question is how I'm going to come. He says, I'm, you know, how do you want me to come? Do you want me to come with a rod? Now, how many of you know what, a, what he means by a rod? Growing up in Carolinas, that usually meant 
Go get a switch. I, mean, I was told that. How many of you were told that? Mistakenly, when I was young, I thought the smaller they were in diameter, the better. But no, they fly harder, don't they? Okay? You, you know, you know, go get a switch. He says, do you want me to come with a switch? Or do you want me to come in love? So he's saying, so the Corinthians were determined, will determine the nature of his visit. When he comes, they're going to know why he comes. When he shows up, they're going to know why he comes. So it's up to them how he comes. What's he saying to them? Guys, I'm going to come, but it's up to you how I'll come. So that means you've got to do something now about your actions. Because if you're not right, believe me, you will be right. Next week, he's going to change the subject now. He said, we've been dealing with a different subject. Oh yeah, but this is part of the greater subject. Next week we get into chapter 5, and this is an important lesson, especially for the church today in our culture. Lesson 8. It's in chapter 5, dealing with sexual immorality. And this is important. Why? Because statistics show it. The issue of sexual immorality among the church is equal to that to those who are not in the church. We have just as many problems, if not more. And we need to hear what the Apostle says. Okay, let's close our time in prayer.